Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 204, Planning a Single Season Grand Slam with Jeff Buds. And I am your host, and the guy who's got to get out this weekend and do some cutting, disking, and planting on his property south of Birmingham so that he can have another spot or two to go and hunt this year. Deer season is rapidly approaching, as I have mentioned, and the awesome news is that we are 170 days, 12 hours, 16 minutes, and 24 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. So I went to the New Hunting Club south of Birmingham this past weekend and put in another work day there. We'd actually pushed out a couple of new fields and gotten those planted and moved some tree stands around. So it's getting close. Hunting season here in Alabama will be in before we know it. And then before we blink an eye, it'll be over and we'll only be about 45 days away from the opening day of spring turkey season. So good times. I am much more excited and optimistic about this world today than I was, oh, let's say 100 days ago, right after turkey season had ended here in Alabama. So hey, today I've got a great interview for you guys, and I'm going to talk about something that I have actually never done. And I'm going to be talking about it with the man who has done it more than anyone in the world has. And we're going to be talking about a single season grand slam. More specifically, we're going to be talking about how to plan a single season grand slam. Now, I have several grand slams underneath my belt. I think I'm at three, and the only thing keeping that from being many more is not squeezing the trigger on any more Osceola turkeys than I have. But as you know, my goal right now is not to stack up grand slams, but it is to mark off states from the list of states in this country that have turkeys in them and to kill turkeys in those states. So that's number one for me. I've been to Florida three times, killed three turkeys there, and until I finish my Super Slam, I am not worried about completing another Grand Slam. But when I do get there, and good Lord willing, I will get there, the Grand Slam that I complete will be a single season Grand Slam. I like the challenge of it. I want to do the single season spring Grand Slam. Mm -hmm. It kind of gets me a little bit excited just talking about it. Now, since I am talking about it, I'm going to stop. I'm going to just introduce Jeff Buds to you guys, who is the current world record holder for the highest number of Grand Slams completed. You guys have heard him on the show several times before. You're getting him here again today because he is the expert. And today I am bringing you a special deal. Not only are you getting Jeff Buds to talk about planning a single season Grand Slam, but you're getting two Buds for the price of one. I am through talking for now and I will see you guys on the other side. 
Hey everybody, I am excited today because I have on the line with me an old familiar voice. Well, he probably get mad at me for saying he's old because I'm sure he doesn't feel old, but it's a familiar voice, how about that? And you know, a couple of weeks ago, maybe three or four weeks ago, I was sitting on the beach with my toes dug in the sand underneath the tailgate tent, a cold beverage sitting nearby, and I was reading some old issues of NWTF's Turkey Country magazine that I'd just never gotten around to. And I got to an article in the back of the magazine, and it was all about Grand Slams. And of course, the author of that article is the king of the Grand Slam, the granddaddy of slams, the sultan of slams, Jeff Buds. And I've got Jeff on the phone with us today to talk about something I have I don't think I've covered in an episode, and that is a single season Grand Slam. So, Jeff, how are you and where are you? I'm fine, Andy. How are you? And I hope all the listeners are well. I am in central Florida. I'm on a rocker feeding my three-and-a-half-month-old Hunter James. He's just getting ready to wrap up a bottle, but everything's good. and just not elk hunting, but I'm doing, the. I think, not even the next best thing better one step better than that and finally after 51 years i'm holding my own son so i couldn't be more happy man that's awesome and hunter is a new addition to the buds family since we've had you on last and not since i've talked to you last but just since we've had you on last and i know everyone listening congratulates you on that that's awfully exciting and yeah Thank you. I told you before the recording started that it's a good thing you're getting him his bottle and getting that protein in him because you need him to be big and strong so he can tote you around from spot to spot <laughs> chasing turkeys in, in uh, about 30 years when you're going to need some help. That's exactly right. That's why I'm growing him. Big and strong. You got it. All right. Well, you mentioned your elk hunt, so I haven't spoken with you since then. We've texted since then, but I didn't want to get the skinny on how the hunt went. I wanted to get by text. I wanted to get it from you by phone. So how did everything go? Well, I did not get an elk. I didn't get a shot. I was with four other guys. Two hit, did not find an elk. Two mm. missed, and I didn't get a shot. It was There were quite a few elk. There weren't a lot of big elk. I was going more to just find a a good spot to be able to maybe go and have a good opportunity a good representative of the of the species and and that it was it was in southeast idaho north of Wisluna salt lake and easy hunting i probably in last year i from camp i jogged ran hiked 17 miles out the last day because my horse was carrying my elk and that was the easiest day of my week-long hunt out there to give you what i'm a, a tidbit of what I'm used to, and this hunt in five days, I probably walked a mile and a half. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, it was just an easy hunt. It was uh, down in some willows and alfalfa fields. The elk come down into these bottoms, and, and so it's it's real easy hunting. It's not what I'm used to, and I sort of thrive on on the punishment, the physical aspect, just as much as the the end result, but. Anyway, it was a good time. I mean, I, I had some good good times with my buddies, and, and, you know, that being said, and, you know, I sort of thought about it, and I don't care, and people ask me all the time how to do stuff. In fact, you and I, this will ring really true to you, because unlike me, you travel with a group of guys, and you don't move to the next state until all of you get a birth, usually. And and I, on the other hand, I always travel 90-some percent of the time. I travel by myself unless I'm guiding. And, I, you know, and this, I've never killed an elk. I killed, I don't know, 12 or 13 bulls, uh, most of which over, I think, I don't know, uh, over 300 inches, biggest 377. And I've never been with anybody else. And when when I'm... And when I've got my elk and I sort of thought about that, about this hunt, because, you know, my time is limited. All of our time is limited. And now with a family, it's, it opens up a whole new can of worms and, you know, it's okay. So here's the takeaway from today. It's okay to be selfish. And 
you know, we're going to talk about the single season Grand Slam. I, I talked about my elk and, you know, because I got back and sort of thought about it. Okay, what do you really want? Is it more important for me to hang out with my buddies or to for my one week now? Because usually I'll go for two or three weeks. Well, now I'm sure for a long time to come, it's going to be one week. So is it more important for me or the listeners? And it'll change. There's no, you don't have to give right. one definitive answer and that's it. It will change, but you have to start somewhere. And honestly, for me, it's more important for me. I had a great time. I have phenomenal friends that I don't get to spend enough time with. But for me, it's more important for me to be, and, and I've never been able to keep or find anybody that can keep up with me. So it's more important for me to be out there beating the bushes and doing what I do and accomplishing, achieving, conquering the quest and the, the, the goals and all that I've set out to do other than sit around camp and have a nice dinner and mm-hmm. shoot the breeze and have a nap and do all that you do when you more center around the camaraderie, all the friends, the social aspect of it. So anyway, I, I, would, I don't know why I've never really put it in that much detail, but I was thinking about, I knew we were going to talk and, and especially coming off of this elk hunt. But honestly, that's my answer for now, because I am going to take less and less time to be away because, and, and I never, I knew it would come to this and I knew I would be ecstatic to stay home with my son because he means so much to me and all the family men and women that, that do this can understand that. And so I knew I wouldn't have as much of an opportunity at some point. So it came 51 years into my, into my thinking, but anyway, it's, there's a time and place for everything, but for right now, and I just, I don't know. I mean, next year, I bet you I'm back in the wilderness somewhere and, and, you know, hiking for an hour and a half for a couple miles straight up the hill before I even think about getting crack a light and chasing something down or, or chasing after a herd and, you know, punishing myself because that's sort of, that's part of it, you know? Yeah. I think what you mentioned is important about really our goals and our methods of accomplishing our goals changing because they are and they will and really we kind of hope that they do and so you know I I think for you to get out there with a group of guys and and do that when you normally don't is good for you in the respect that it does give you that other aspect of the hunt and it kind of reinforces to you in your mind okay it hasn't really changed for me I really kind of enjoy the getting out and one-on-one with the animal and getting lost at least in my head getting lost in what I'm doing not in where I am but in what I am doing and so you know I think that all of us need to kind of mix things up from time to time because heck if you don't try it you won't know if you don't like it and if you don't like it you can always go back to what you were doing before so I think that's that's pretty cool that's a, a good takeaway that you had and you know with us with the guys that i do these trips with you know it's kind of funny that you say that about the camaraderie there have been years when we've gone on these trips and we typically will hunt in pairs so two pairs of us will go out and there's four i thought there was five of you four or five of you that usually go on your yeah on your four odyssey. four of us counting me yeah and okay. so we hunt in two pairs, and there have been years when I got home and I thought, well, shoot, I, I, I don't even think I got to spend more than 30 minutes with the other pair of guys. And I just spent seven or eight days with the guy that I was with, breaking our necks, trying to get two or three or four turkeys, whatever it happens to be. So, yeah, it's, you know, I enjoy that. I do enjoy the camaraderie of it, of these trips that we go on every year I think maybe a lot of that has to do with the fact that during the week for six weeks of turkey season I pretty much am hunting by myself and so you know on the weekends or when I go on these trips it's nice to have that camaraderie you and see with your guiding side is the other is the other way I'm with somebody 
24-7 and, you know, keep up, be quiet, don't move. Okay, here, do you see him? Whatever species it is, I'm always taking it. And a lot of times it's people that are very novice in it and they expect me to really teach them. They want to learn. And and that's my job is to really not just walk in and say, shoot, boom, done, pictures. Okay, we're out of here. They are more guys than not nowadays, which I love and I respect. And I'm not going to knock anybody that does fly in. And I mean, this spring, I literally had a guy fly in at six o'clock on his Lear in Okeechobee. I picked him up. We got, we were probably, the birds were still on the roof. We snuck in and I belly crawled out, put a decoy out. Two toms flew down. One was coming from the other way. They came in a few calls later, they came in and he nailed one and was like, oh my gosh, that was incredible. I had him back and it was a, a hour and 15 minute drive total both ways so we had 45 minutes on the ground and pictures and and he said hey send the cape here and and vacuum seal the meat or i zip locked it and i mean it was just in and out and and nothing to take away from that hunt or the guy that literally wants to know a to z every single thing but nonetheless when i do get my alone time it's oh my gosh it's valuable it's really valuable. So I know, and a lot of the listeners to the show know that you guide for turkeys, and you've mentioned it on this podcast before, and you help people get their Osceola to complete their Grand Slam, but you also take them out to other states to do their Grand Slams. And so tell us a little bit about your guided service, and how can we get in touch with you if we want to hunt with you? And before, yeah. you, before you jump in, I probably already know the answer to this question, but do you have any availability for Osceola's for 2019? Oh, good question. Uh, that one is always yes, because if I find guys, I mean, I was getting property and birds right in, right up until right before season. If I have guys beating down the door saying, we got to come, we're coming, we're coming. I hate saying no, because no doesn't get do anybody good doesn't get them their bird doesn't make me any money doesn't yeah. do it you know landowners money all the good stuff because it's 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 a win-win for everybody. so i will have birds up until before season and that's just because i always go out and beat the bush because it's a big commitment because i pay these landowners all before anybody steps foot on property so i don't yeah. want to go doing that unless i have all the hunters but anyway yeah i do osceola's down here in central south central florida south orlando and then I do the Grand Slam. I do uh, Osceola, Georgia, uh, Eastern, uh, Florida, Osceola. And then I do a Kansas, Rio, South Dakota, or Nebraska, Miriam. Um, so a two-trip, two-five-day trip, me and two other two hunters deal. And, oh, I usually do six or eight on the Grand Slam. And, and heck, I do somewhere in the 90 realm on Osceola's. But wow. love to have anybody come down. I tear it up. Osceola's or some the single season Grand Slam is uh, ten thousand, I think. And then Osceola's, whether you do it yourself, I just give you permission on the property. I have an app and I give you boundaries and the blinds and the feeders and the roosts and the strut zones and all that stuff on an app, and and it's bulletproof. And I do that and or a fully guided two on one housing food bird all that stuff and those hunts are anywhere between i think two and 26 i think is the is the top end but uh yeah i'd love to have everybody they can uh, get online tag it worldwide they can google my name jeff b-u-d-z they can and that the, the either one will get you my website they can send an email through that or they get my phone numbers on there i'm eastern i mean if you call text whatever however you want to reach out to me i do it for a living this is my job so i'm always available you know i have a family i'm not going to talk to you on a sunday night at nine o'clock but if i'm not available leave a message and i'll get back to you as quickly as i can very good yeah i don't think i told you this but i spoke with someone who and i'm not going to tell you the name who finished his grand slam with you well it wasn't this year so it must i think it was 2017 and he you already know this, so I, and, and I'm laughing because I think that everyone hears your passion and your, your drive and your craziness for turkeys, but this person said Jeff Buds is on a different level, that he will hunt you until you're almost begging for mercy, but 
it's that drive that you have for everyone to be successful that I think I'm not going to say separates you from other outfitters because I'm going to say the majority of outfitters want their hunters to be successful because that's how you build a business. Yes, there are some people out there that don't care about that, but they just care about the money. But that's the majority of outfitters want to build their business. But hunting with Jeff Buds is on a different level. That's everything that I've been told, everything that I've heard about hunting with Jeff. And if you are serious about getting an Osceola and you want to learn something about turkey hunting as well, because I'm pretty sure you're going to learn something from Jeff, call him. Get get booked with that guy. I mean, it's kind of crazy from what I hear. I haven't tried it out yet, and maybe one day you and I will get to sit up against a tree or put a crawl on one or whatever we have to do to get one, drop out of a helicopter with bayonets. I mean, whatever we have to do to get one. Maybe maybe we'll get that opportunity go. sooner rather than later. So. Yep, there you go. Well, thanks. Yep, yep. Come on down, and, and uh, yeah, we'll have some fun. Good deal. Yeah. So let's talk about some of these slams and and the single season slam in particular. So you've got more than more single season slams than anyone. And I'm at 99 right now. Yeah. So you've got a pretty good bit of experience with it. And I would imagine a lot of the listeners know what a single season slam is if they don't have one or multiple slams themselves. But For the new turkey hunters out there that may not know what a single season slam is, explain what that is to them for me. Well, and so many people ask me, do you have to get a bird in all four birds in the same year to call it a a slam, a grand slam? And, you know, instantly, no, I know people it's taken 20 years to get all four birds. So all a single season slam does is say that you got them all in the calendar year. And if you want to be specific, you say, like my bonus daughter, and I, we, we hate the word step, so I have a, bonus, a 13-year-old bonus daughter that we really spent some time, a lot of time with both daughters this spring yeah. up until Hunter was born. And so she went out and started this spring with Osceola's, and right before they came in, I said, hey, because I didn't want to freak her out or have her have too much time to think about it. I said, if two come in, I want you to shoot them both. And she said, what, what? And I said, just just focus on one, and then if the other one, and she did. Boom, the other one started to run and then came back and flogged the flopping bird, just like we've so many have seen before. And, and boom, she, two birds flopping, big adult toms. And I said, oh, my gosh, that's going to cost you. And she said, what? And I said, well, now you're going to have to get double <laughs> season grand slam so when in the in when you describe it and that's when somebody says hey i shot a gobbler i said oh so you shot a jig and because i i really it really gets me when people call tom well don't think a, a jake can gobbler or they refer to toms as gobblers they are gobblers but a male is a gobbler a tom is a tom a jake is a jake all males gobble can gobble and can breed and they're legal so to be specific she got a double single spring season slam of tom and if you really want to say so a single season grand slam is is the calendar year and i've done that several times had to go in the fall i hunt most i hunt every fall i don't know a fall that i haven't got a bird because i just love turkey hunting in all aspects hence you know because and taking does and hens is a part of nature and and part of the how the whole thing works so that's how it goes. You, you don't have to get it all in the, in the same season. It's great if a guy, a hunter, a gal, goes out and achieves a single spring slam and, and does it all in the you know two-month or so period, mid-March to mid-May. That's awesome. Most people don't have the time and or the money. So anyway, I, I really get specific when we talk about slam, single season, and legal birds and gobblers, hens, jay, whatever. And hey, just like that hunting by yourself and hunting on all public property or however, it's all going to change. But just know when you go on that hunt to think about if you're going to, if you're going to shoot any legal bird in the fall, most all places you can shoot hens and they count and they're legal. And I'm, I wouldn't ever knock anybody for getting a, a slam of, with hens included or jakes, you know, they're all legal birds. So anyway. Yeah. Oh, 
somebody that's complaining. So, elected. Um, go ahead. So the single season slam is getting one bird of each of the four subspecies located in the U.S. in a calendar year. That yep. is a single January season. January 1 grand. to December 31. Yep. Okay. All right. And like you said, if you want to get more specific and do it all in one spring, then that's just even more of a challenge. Right. So, cool. So, speaking of the challenge, what is it that makes a single season slam so difficult? Well, it's the travel. It's the time. It's the money. It's because you have to go to... And I say you have to go to four different states. You don't. And and I know we're going to talk about a couple of states that have a couple of different birds. And, you know, I really – I haven't and I probably won't ever, but I really would love to write a letter to Washington, uh, the state of Washington, for putting Easterns in there. Uh, there's absolutely – it's unbelievable that they would put Easterns in there because eventually it's just going to be all one uh, hybrid state with Rios, Easterns, and Miriams. It's ridiculous. Right. They should have kept – all the Miriams in the West, the Northwest, and all the Rios in the Southwest, and all the Easterns from the Mississippi East. And when they start transplanting, oh, yeah, it looks great on paper. Yeah, you get birds there. But, you know, it's like you could put Miriams, Rios, or Easterns in Okeechobee County, where I live and thrive, and those birds would be do incredible. And they would take over, and all the birds would just be gray, like all humans in another 200 years. Um, but it's just so Four states would would be my pick because, you know, as the super slam, that's a bird out of every all 49 states that have them, none in Alaska. Part of it was to go to each state. And part of it for me is the travel and the sights and the sounds, the different, everything that's different. It's not just checking a box and saying, hey, I got my slam, you know. So anyway, I mean, if you really wanted to, a guy could go to. A DYI guy could go to Florida and Kansas and have a blast and hunt. Uh, you know, you would have to, because Kansas Eastern, I was thinking, you'd have to go to three states, Florida, Osceola Eastern, and then, say, uh, Kansas and and Nebraska for your Rio and your Miriam. Although, I say that Kansas, Nebraska right now is doing a DNA on the birds all around the state because, and I've talked with the biologist in depth, and the the doctor that's doing the dna um the only place where they differentiate rios in kansas and right across the border a foot away they're called hybrids in nebraska and i argue that because there are rios in nebraska and in the northeast and that's on the south border and then on the iowa border they call them easterns in iowa and a foot across the border they call them hybrids well there's real truly it's the only state in the country that truly has three subspecies, Easterns, Rios, and Miriams. And you can over-the-counter get three licenses. It'll cost you, what, 320 bucks. And I tell you, if if they – and I don't think they will because the results aren't out, but I've spoken with the doctor, and he said he, – not, nothing's definitive, but – I wish they would re-delineate and say a pocket of Rios, then hybrids, then Miriams, and then Easterns and hybrids and Miriams, because that would that'd be pretty cool to go to Nebraska and hunt birds that haven't been transplanted that are truly natural native subspecies of those three. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's important to note about the slam is – you know, to me, part of the mystique of it is getting the purest of those subspecies, you know, and, and that's one of the reasons why, and I'm not knocking the people that go to the northern range of the Osceola, but that's part of the reason why I went to the southern part of Florida was to get my Osceolas, because I wanted that true Osceola strain I didn't. I didn't even want them to have, you know, even talked to an eastern wild turkey. Right. Same thing with the Merriams, and the same thing with the Rio. You know, I wanted my Merriams just as true, pure white, tipped tail fan and feathers as they could get. And yep. you know, I know not all pure Merriams are snow white, but to me, that's what makes a Merriams a Merriams. 
to me. I know biologically speaking there are differences, but that's not. I don't care about those biological differences. So, you know, I, I think that's important to note. You know, is that what you said? You know, someone can go to a state like Washington and kill three hybrid turkeys and say, okay, well, that's my Eastern, my Merriam's, and my Rio, but they've killed three hybrid turkeys. Yeah. You know, I, I don't yeah. know. I, I mean, I, I'm not, again, I'm not going to knock someone who wants to do that because I've gotten now to the point where when we go to these states that have multiple subspecies, I actually am kind of having fun shooting some of the hybrids, hybrid birds. That's yeah. now, though, and I'm, I've got my Grand Slam done, I don't have my single season slam done, but when I do the single season, I want to go pure strain. But right now, I got no issue killing hybrids. You know, I'm, I'm tacking on these states, and that's all, or marking off these states. That's all I care about. So, you know, yeah. I, I think that's that's pretty cool. So, I've decided I want to take on the challenge of a super slam, a single season slam. I'm sorry. What is my first step, and when should I start that step. When should I take that step? Well, it all comes down to time and money. And if you answer that, that's the biggest thing a guy has to answer. Because if he has more money and less time, he's going to probably do some, if not all, guided. If if he has more time than money, he's going to do some, if not all, do-it-yourself. And most times, a do-it-yourself guy so here's my plug. I do Osceolas. That's my biggest thing in the in the spring. I just hammer the Osceolas. I had 23 guys in the woods last opener, 19 toms down by 11 o'clock, two that afternoon and two the next morning by eight. So 23 to 23, and we just all we hammer them. Everybody got their bird except for one guy who rolled a bird and my wife who was seven and a half months pregnant who was having a hard time keeping up shocker but uh she had a good time and she did shoot some birds she shot an eastern and two miriams and a rio two rios so we she had a great time she's going to get her osceola this fall and finish her another her seventh grand slam but so back to the back to the question and um so the norm is so i tell people what is more norm because you can't answer every question it's just it's just exponential but the norm is a guy will and FYI, I do sell, I do about six single season Grand Slams myself. It'll cost a guy $10,000. He flies into Orlando. We do the Osceola here. Then we bop up to Georgia and we do the Eastern there. So he's gone five days and then he takes off and goes home for a month. And then he goes out to usually Denver. I pick him up there. We go up six hours to South Dakota. We uh, get a Miriam. And then we go six hours to Kansas, we shoot a Rio, and then we go back to Denver five hours later, and he's in Denver. And I say it's a five-day trip, honestly. I do two-on-one, and and it's more like a three, four, maximum four-day trip because I have some really good spots. But everybody, it's a slam dunk, and that's the easiest deal. The do-it-yourselfer, there's public property. I answer questions to everybody all the time. Everybody that asks, I give them all the same as much information as, as they want, I'll never, haven't, or will give them the tree with the GPS coordinates, which I have, to go to all the places because that's not part of it. If you're going to do it yourself, then then you're going to do it yourself, and that's part of it is doing a bunch of research. But I'll give them the areas, the counties, the national forests, the places to knock on doors. and then. But the norm is a guy will come down, and he will have gone and traveled usually – all my guys are, when they get their Osceola, they've finished their Grand Slam. And they have, most all turkey hunters are Eastern. They live east of the Mississippi or real close, and they have Easterns in their backyard. So most all of them do the Easter by themselves. And then they'll go on two other quick trips and usually do a maybe one guided for, you know, 1500 bucks is sort of the norm for a Rio or a Merriam hunt. And then they probably knock on a door or they know somebody or they hunt some public ground for another one but they finish their grant they're they're everybody's intimidated by the osceola and 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 really it's supply and demand there's just less doors to knock on 
There's less birds. There's 115,000 Osceola or birds in the state. Cut that in half. So there's somewhere in the 60 realm of 60,000 birds, Osceolas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's, it's hard to find them. Once in the woods, and I know you know this coming from Alabama and the birds you've battled up there, in the woods, the, the Osceola is so much easier. Mono a mono than, than an Eastern. He's harder than a, than a Miriam or Rio. But if you can successfully, if you have and do kill Easterns all the time, boy, you'll laugh. And, and the myth of the Osceola will, will vanish after you get in the woods with these guys. And I say that because I set all my guys up for success. I mean, of all the right. birds I shot, I mean, I bet you 80% of them were within, were the first day. So, you know, that's my job. It's very little pressure on the ground and I put move guys around and and I have had guys come and hunt with me and say, gosh, I hunted, this is my third guided hunt. And I, my other two hunts, I never even saw a bird. But like I said, in the woods, mono a mono, that means, you know, a Tom is there. The Osceola is so much easier than an Eastern, you know, but that's sort of the norm of what, what to plan on, what to do, what guys do, but you got to answer how much time and how much money you have. And I'll we'll jump into the next if you wanted to is talk about money, if you want to, because I, I know that's coming. So when I've, because I keep track of every penny I spend, every license, every, I'm neurotic about records, but I have somewhere in the realm of $750 a bird. And that is with tax title trade, A to Z, soup to nuts. However you want to say it, that's when I leave home and I go and I take, I do three or four states and I come home with, you know, three or four or five birds. That's the ballpark on what I'm spending. And I drive most everywhere I can. I mean, I flew out to Washington, hunted Washington, Idaho, and Oregon. But, you know, that was three birds, three states, four days. That was a $2,000 trip. There you go. And that's airplane, rental, hotel, food, licenses. I mean, you know, you're, you're right on the, my heels as far as getting your states. And, you you know, it to, to say $750 a state, I mean, yeah, you'll get a, a no-brainer where you can you have an aunt or somebody here and a neighbor there and you drive a state away four or five hours and, and a friend of a friend and knock on a door and you stay at their place and you wake up, go out the back door and boom. That's your bonus round, but you'll have another one. You fly to Hawaii. Well, guess what? <laughs> one bird there, and that costs you twenty five hundred bucks, three thousand, you know. And so, average seven fifty a bird. You know, my birds down here, I I charge do it yourself. Or guys that sort of are given property, I forget. I think I'm twenty one hundred dollars, and that's for your bird. And if you don't get them, you're coming back and hunting this season. That bird's paid for. And, and I rarely have a guy that needs to or does, actually. I'll have one guy a year that doesn't get his bird. No matter if I've done 10 birds or 90, it's always one. <laughs> and, and it's just the luck of the draw, the weather, the hunter, whatever. But that's what you're looking at as far as birds. When you look at a working man that says, okay, I can come up. And if, now, if you're going to do that grand slam, don't think that, okay, I need to say, you know, you're doing a lot of traveling for that. So it's going to change a little bit. But if it, so um, for that, if a guy said, no, I want to do a do-it-yourself single-season Grand Slam, and I've got enough money maybe, but I'd rather do it yourself, I'd say bank on two weeks. Um, and we're rapid doing it, some of these questions in together. But do a week sure. a bird, and I do two states in one trip, and two states I do Florida. Well, most people have Eastern in their backyard, so but I'd still do Florida and you know have fun and do a southeastern state and then go out and Kansas and Nebraska for your Rio and your your uh, Miriams. Um, Miriams, yeah, yeah. Although Eastern yeah. Kansas has some great public ground for Eastern, so that's you know if you if a guy wanted to take two weeks and get three of those birds come to Florida in one week and then do two weeks for the other three he could easily go into Kansas City fly in or drive and get a rental and or show up and there the Kansas Parks and Wildlife they have a great they have apps they have they make it so user friendly um, and those easterns are nowhere near like hunting hunting uh, easterns in Alabama I mean. Alabama, Mississippi, uh, 
Georgia, all those. I mean, those those jokers. You can tell there's a bunch of poachers that live around there because those birds are smart <laughs> and they get hunted hard. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, I, won't, so I won't put that, you on the spot. How many, how many of your birds you shot with a spotlight or off season? But anyway, <laughs> I've talked hey, to plenty of rednecks down there. <laughs> You know when they when they don't gobble and they stay up on the roost until noon and then they fly down for fifteen minutes feed breed and and fly back up on the roost. You pretty much just have to shoot them however you can get them. <laughs> That's my story. Sticking to it. And, and yeah, and and I am joking. Please save the hate emails. That, that was a joke. Yeah. So, yeah. but we. In Alabama and in Mississippi and in uh, quite a few parts of Georgia, Jeff's right. That is not far from the truth on how some of these turkeys act. So that was, that was as you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was which states, you know, for the people who live west of the Mississippi or their home state doesn't have Easterns, where would you recommend they go for an eastern and so eastern with Kansas, Kansas. Land, oh my gosh public property you can knock on doors and they are easy to hunt compared they're on a scale from one to ten an eastern is a ten an osceola is a oh a five or a six just because the whole hoopla a rio is a maybe a three and a, and a miriam is a two as far as being easy or hard to hunt, however you want to say it, but the, the eastern is a 10. And an eastern in Alabama to an eastern in Kansas, an eastern is a 10, and a Kansas eastern is like a four, four or five. Call it a 4.5. How about that? But, I mean, it's that much easier. It's just, it's, you know, and I, I, I have, I've hunted there a bunch and, and got quite a bit. There's, they are different. They're, they're easier out there. And I don't know why they, not because they, I know they get hunted, but they're definitely easier than Georgia. Yeah. You know, of course we can speculate until the cows come home because we will never really know why they are easier. But I think the fact that they can just see so much further, they're not as worried about their natural predators as these Easterns that live in briar thickets and everything else, you know, all these thick woods that we have in Alabama that are constantly being hunted by coyotes and bobcats. And a turkey in Alabama is not going to see a coyote or bobcat until, for a lot of them, it's too late. So, you know, I think some of that, that's some of it, you know, just my opinion. But, again, you can take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, yeah. So... You mentioned some of these states that have multiple subspecies, and and you do recommend doing that. So you would recommend going to Kansas for an eastern and a Rio, or you know, and then just be bopping across the line for your Merriams in Nebraska. Absolutely, and and uh, so you have probably five hours, six hours between each bird. So Kansas, south of Kansas City, eastern. And you'll drive six, seven hours out to northwest Kansas, and then you'll drive six, seven hours to northwest Nebraska to make sure you're in the the thick of true blue, 100% pure strain subspecies of that, those three birds. That's the one trip if a guy really wanted to do it. It's a no-brainer. And to say he could do it, I mean, and take a buddy. That's an easy two-man trip. So if you do do it, do two. I mean, four. Holy cow! To get four guys to go out there in two weeks and kill twelve birds, it's just. I mean, it's just that's brutal. I mean, you're, it's hard. Somebody's going to take it on the chin, and you know, it, I mean, who's it going to be? Because that ever it's on everybody's mind. I mean, you. I've never done it, but that's all I'd think about. It's all I could could think about. And I know it goes through your head. Okay, who's not going to get their bird this trip? And then are we going to have to all come back for that one person to come? Or am I not going to get my trip? And then I'll have to come back by myself to get mine. And, but two guys help. And, you know, hunting in the woods, as you guys said, you, you split off. Hunting in the woods with two people is so much more effective. It's like anything. Two people do it three times faster. And the calling barrage and getting back and walking away and all those tactics that we do and have fun playing the chess game with hunting with two people it, you could really scouting, watching, listening, covering ground. And when you do find them, you get all, you know, all that stuff, it goes exponential. And I do truly believe that with two guys, but yeah, you get a buddy of yours load up in the pickup, 
because even from, I mean, from Florida to, to Southeast Kansas is 22 hours, and I've done it countless times in one one drive. So I'm way far off the bat of a normal guy from, say, <laughs> Middle Tennessee or somewhere around there. And even if right. it does take you 24 hours, once you get there, boom, done. You know, so you got a day there and a day back. But then when you're there, you're. I mean, you could on a six o'clock fly down bird. You guys could you could hunt, finish your hunt, get your last bird. The two of you could be hunting successfully, hunting, knocking on doors, getting a bird in in Kansas that afternoon, and and knocking them out and doing the same thing. When when they fly down at six and they fly up at eight thirty or so in p.m. I mean, there's there's a lot of time to be traveling and getting it, knocking them out, you know? So, but that, 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 those, for those three, that's a, for, for, if you needed the third, if not, still Kansas and Nebraska are my calls for the Rio and the Miriam, because they're so close over the counter, plenty of public ground, plenty of doors to knock on. So if you go through your checklist of what it needs to have, um, easy, rules and regs all that stuff check 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 all the way down the list they have it's they they those two states have it all and they cater to hunters they want hunters they understand that hunters that come into their state their states spend money and if you don't believe that they want you to come there and spend your money and hunt their turkeys then Open up a Turkey Country magazine or look around at the NWTF Convention and Sports Show in Nashville. They have booths at the show. The states of Nebraska and Kansas typically will have a booth at the show. I know Nebraska does every single year. They run ads in Turkey Country. They want you there. I mean, you know, it's one thing to go hunt in a state where they're kind of lukewarm. You know, here are our laws, and, you know, you can't hunt on Sundays, you can't hunt after 1 p.m., or you can't hunt after 12 p.m. That's fine and dandy for someone who lives in that state, but for someone like us who are traveling to those states, man, it adds a whole new level of difficulty yep. to yep. the trip. Yep. Well, and, you don't get that stuff with Kansas and Nebraska. Early, uh, further, you find me a, a sign in, I don't know, Maryland or the Northeast, you find me a sign that's hung up at the bar or the diner that says, welcome hunters. <laughs> I mean, you walk exactly. out west, I wouldn't change my camo to, to any. I mean, I'm, I live in my camo. It's just a way of life. and You don't even think about it unless you're in Boulder, which I lived for 10 years, and I took my NRA sticker off the truck because it was window because it was just a battle. Every, I mean, it's it, it's crazy, the bubble. But anyway. That's too many yeah. Hollywood oh, imports oh, over there is what oh, that is. The crazy liberals. But, but you know, it, it's, a, it's a, you know, what we all have to deal with now, being politically correct and camouflage and guns and hunting. And it, it's, I mean, it's a way of life in every state in the country. But it's it's sure nice when you feel made, you're made to feel welcome by the state, by the residents, by everything. You know, it's just it's just nice. Right. So, you know, we we talked about some difficult things for people to do to prepare for a single season slam, such as you're going to spend money you're going to have to take time off of work and away from your family. Unless your family goes with you, then that's awesome. You are going to have to travel. You know, some people don't like the the aspect of the travel. Now let's talk about what I think is extremely important because we've spent the money for this trip or are spending it. We are taking the time off of work and away from family and I think it is extremely important for us as hunters to be as successful as we can be to mentally and physically be in the best shape we can be in when we go on that trip. So what can we do physically to prepare ourselves for a single season slam? Well, I mean, simple things. I mean, you know, I've got a rule of never go hunting with a new pair of boots on. I mean, I don't care if you got to put them on and wear them around for work. And, you know, simple stuff like that. But, you know, and I get bad because, I mean, I'm not the norm because I have so much gear and I'm I'm hunting every month of the year something. And so I my stuff isn't just put in a tub 
and socked away. And I say that as I look at my big, huge Tupperware that I have all my elk stuff in that I just put all put back in there, and I'm going to go put it in and let it collect dust until next August. But pull your stuff out six weeks before you go on your first trip. Go through all your stuff. Look at everything. Don't go the night before and go, oh, my gosh, all my, my favorite latex reed is all dry rotted or stuck together. Or my box call somehow got sat on or some stepped on and it's crushed. And, and then you're in your head because we all have, I don't care who you are, we all have our lucky whatever it is, decoy calls, vests, shells, guns, whatever it is. We have our stuff, our gear, because we're like that. And we have it, don't wait until the week before. Or don't wait until you can't get it ordered to you and, and lose a bunch of money because you got to express ship it. Give yourself plenty of time. Go through all the gear. That's the easy thing. And then yeah. go through your gear and, and put your turkey vest on if you really think about it. Now, turkey's different than elk. I usually work out. I always work out in the summer. I mean, this summer, I and, and I sort of pushed it because we were pregnant together and we then we lost weight together but I lost 20 pounds in 30 in actually just short of 30 days before elk because I carry a 20 depends this year I knew it was going to be lighter because I'm not living out of it like I do when I go to the back country Wyoming or somewhere but still you think about every ounce and you're in really good shape I mean you and I both genetically we'd have to have a chocolate IV drip to really pack on a bunch yeah as you get older you got a couple extra you know, you can pinch a little bit extra here or there, um, and that's just part of life. But just it's, I, I say hunt for life, and I say, you know, get in shape. Make it a good excuse to go out. And, you know, my wife and I, when she was pregnant, I mean, we, we run together, but then when she was pregnant, she slowed down, and she would walk. I'd walk with her for so far, and then I'd run, and then I'd meet back up, and then we'd finish off walking because she's in really good shape, and she stays going all the time. But all of us, it's a good excuse to live longer and stay in shape and eat better and all that. But I, you know, hunt for life, I say, you know, and, and yeah. it's a way of life and it's, it's, it's all encompassing. It's eating better. It's exercising. It's, it's all that. And if two times a year, I really, four months a year, I really, really think about it, you know, it's better than none. And I mean, I always try and do do the best thing, and I say that. And I have I eat chocolate every day. I mean, I there's no ifs ands and buts. I eat milk chocolate, so don't send me dark chocolate. Milk chocolate <laughs> every day, because that's just I mean, I'm addicted. That's my vice. But so that's what you do. I mean, it's simple. It's not anything crazy. You know, for bow, I start shooting my bow, and I shoot every day neurotically. I don't shoot a lot. But I definitely shoot because it's quality, not quantity. And for turkey, never once. I say that one time I might have patterned a gun just because I had to. And then and then after that, I just give some shells to a big old knucklehead buddy of mine and say, here, shoot this. Let me see what it looks like. Now, with the different gauges in the TSS, I have patterned. But I use a lead sled. I use a 50-pound lead sled because I don't go knocking myself around. But really for turkey calling, and most of us, you know, when you know how to call, I mean, I could pick up a call in five years after never touching it. I'd never go that long, but I'd be able to call just exactly like I call right now. So it's not like you got to go out and, you know, do all this right. crazy prep before. But there are definitely some easy boxes to check, you know, starting at six weeks up until right before you get ready to go of what you need to do and prepare before you hit the road. Yeah, I know you're big on checklists and going through and being prepared and planning and you do what you said I've, I have seen the records you keep up with every single dollar that you spend on these trips and I know a lot of people probably myself included don't want to know how much we spend on these trips <laughs> but you know the the planning aspect of really any trip is critical and I can imagine it's because there's four subspecies probably four times more critical for someone who's trying to do a single season slam so what I'm getting from you is that you can't stress enough plan 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 prepare 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 just like you know this hurricane is just over expect and plan for the worst hope for the best but you know and part of that planning 
go have different places lined up. Even if you don't, I say this, I'm broken record, ask the hard questions now. Now is September, what's the date, 14th, 16th, something like that, or 7th, 18th. 18th, Today the 18th, yeah. So September 18th, and now is when you need to be calling the places that you're going to be hunting in the spring if if it's a friend of a friend, and ask the hard questions because I have showed up because I didn't ask the hard questions and said, oh, yeah, you said you had a bunch of birds. And they go, oh, yeah, here's a picture. And there's Tom standing in snow. I said, uh, when was this picture taken? Oh, this picture was taken in February. I said, when have you seen the birds since then? Oh, that was the last time we saw the birds. You know, we usually see them each February, January, February. And I go, oh, my gosh, I'm in trouble. And that was specifically that story. That was the last Virginia story. And, uh, and I ended up getting a bird. I, I had a data scout, scouted and found a bird on public property, and it was just amazing. And but thought, lucky, lucky, lucky. But had I done my homework, I would have asked the hard questions. I wouldn't have even gone to that place. And because if they said, oh yeah, they they're here in February, that doesn't do me any good in in April. Right. You know. So ask yeah. those hard questions. That's part of the flip the front side. You know. Talk to work, talk to the wife, talk do whatever. Get all your permissions and your get out of jail cards and your passes lined up, and get all those hard stuff out of the way because you're gonna have plenty of hard stuff to deal with for the week or two that you're on the road. You don't need to add to it. Very true. Now, this is something that you and I have talked about, and you mentioned, you know, asking those hard questions of people that you're getting permission to hunt from who are giving you the opportunity to come hunt their land when, and you just said it, you know, oh, we've got a bunch of birds. What is a bunch of birds? Because... And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that, you know, I just met with some landowners yesterday and I said, hey, and the big questions that are... How big is your property? How many birds do you have? How many toms? How many jakes? How many hens do you have? And who's around you? What size properties are around you? And who hunts those properties? Because that's some of the basic questions. I mean, in a perfect world, oh, we have a thousand acres. Oh, there's, oh, six or eight toms. And usually four or five are up here in the barnyard every day. No one's ever hunted. Nobody has permission to hunt. And it's miles around us that we've even heard a gunshot. Then you're that, – that's like the dream. The, the, the not dream is, oh, yeah, we've got 50 acres. There's a tom that comes on property every once in a while. You know, my grandkids are just coming of age, and they're probably going to be coming around here, and they'll probably be hunting too. But, yeah, you're welcome to come. And, you know, yeah, free bird sounds great, but a free bird ain't – ain't great when you don't get them and you don't see them, you don't hear them and you waste three or four days and you just see a lone hen from time to time. That's not good. And you're just spinning your wheels. Hope doesn't do any good unless you close the deal. I hope on that place with the five times that come up every day and there's nobody hunts around there. Nobody ever hunted. I, that's the good deal, but I'm still hoping and praying. And even at that deal, I still would have a, a backup plan and I still would have have talked to somebody and had something else you know I could have gone and if I needed to and and I say that what it and I, I, I do backup for two reasons what if it's really bad or the flip side what if it's really good you go to the northeast heck you're out west you're in you're seven hours from kansas city across the border till you get to colorado heck yeah. in seven hours i can land in new jersey and i can be in seven hours i can be to canada i can be, drive through five states in the northeast in seven hours so there i'm lining everything up because if i get a bird oh buddy i'm going to the next state if i get a bird i'm going to the next state and if i don't get a bird i still might be gone to the next state or to another property, you know? Right. Yeah. So, and, you know, and a part of that, and I have all spreadsheets for all the information because it's whelming to say the least. And what you need to do now is also is check on all of your rules and regs and make sure that you know every single rule and reg and, and to know that you are doing the right thing and because every single state is different just like you said on the sundays or stopping at noon or check stations leg tags 
blah, blah. The list goes on and on. Hunter safety card, you know, yeah. are you exempt or not? Or what do you have to carry it with you? Take it in and prove it, show it to somebody your first time you buy a tag there. I mean, it's just, it's endless. Yeah, that's all great information. And, you know, that's something that we have discovered on our trips when we go and knock on a door and someone says, yeah, we have a bunch of turkeys. Well, I need more information than that because, you know, a bunch of turkeys for somebody that didn't have turkeys on their place 10 years ago could be 10 turkeys. And only one of those is a tom, you know. So um, you hit the nail on the head there by asking, you know, giving a list of questions for, for us to ask. So I appreciate that. Do you have any parting thoughts on a single season slam, anything that we hadn't covered that you think would be important. I just wish everybody would try it with, I or complete it, not try it once, complete it once. Just do it once so you can say you did it and check it off the list because I, I think turkeys are the easiest all in all to hunt as far as accessibility. There's birds in every state um, as far as you can get knock on door permission, very reasonable licenses, all that stuff wraps up into it's a big deal because there's such a small percentage of turkey hunters that do actually get a grand slam for whatever reason, but it's it's something that your normal working guy that's never going to be able to afford dream or even dream of going and getting a grand slam a sheep in the, for half a million dollars or something crazy like that or do this crazy stuff and go get a red stag from New Zealand or, uh, you know, do a big dove hunt. I mean, even a uh, $5,000 dove hunt in, in Argentina. You know, we all have stuff we'd love to do, but honestly, the Grand Slam is the easiest, most affordable, all big picture package for, for a working guy to check off and say, hey, I did that. I knocked that off my bucket list. Oh, yeah, they all have whitetail and they all want to shoot a 200-inch or even a Boone and Crockett. But, I mean, I can count on one hand of all the friends. And I have some pretty big deer, crazy deer hunters and with incredible property. Count on a hand that, of guys that kill in my circle that kill Boone and Crockett's year. I mean, there's just, you know, that's you dream of that one. But, but this one is really something that, everybody can really everybody can do you know it's attainable yeah i think that's spot on that's you know i hadn't i hadn't really ever thought of that before but it's much more affordable than going to shooting a big whitetail it's much more affordable than going to shooting an elk you know it, it i think that's a great point so yeah appreciate yeah that. i mean a grand slam for four grand and a and elk for six or seven or a you know big elk or big whitetail or all this stuff i mean you're way north of $5,000 on all that other stuff if you want to put yourself in in the realm of really uh, achieving, you know, accomplishing that and having a good chance at a trophy and blah, blah, all that stuff. But, but, you know, that turkey, and that's a great thing about turkeys is a goblin tom is a goblin tom. Once you knock him down, yeah, let's measure the spurs and and the beard and stuff. But, you know, that elk that walked by and, you know, I see a couple here or there, that deer here or there, you know, you're right away, you glance and within if you're if you've seen enough you glance and you say oh well that's a whatever inch animal and oh no i don't want that oh no this and that you know that's something fun as well on the turkey that you know a goblin tom is a goblin tom you know after that it's a bonus let's check them off the list and have you know and and then we get in the realm of all the communication and the all that stuff and the chess match and and anyway it's i love it obviously (laughs) Yeah, that's great, man. I appreciate all the information that you shared with us. And, you know, I think that for those listeners out there who want to take on that challenge, you've been a wealth of knowledge for them. And like I said, you're the person who's got more than anyone. So you should be the expert on it. So I appreciate you sharing all that and sharing your time with us. And I'm going to let you run on and get back to Hunter and taking care of him so i really appreciate your help and the information and i hope to talk to you again sometime real soon all right thanks for the conversation andy and i hope all these listeners get out there and tear it up good luck god bless thank you jeff thank you bye goodbye okie dokie i hope that you guys enjoyed that interview i always enjoy talking to jeff he's a super nice guy he is 
absolutely just, as we say in the South, eat up with turkey hunting and turkeys. And so we have that huge commonality there. And you can definitely hear his passion about the sport of turkey hunting in every conversation that we have with him. I mean, he's just all about it. So Jeff, if you're listening to this, thank you very much for your time. Thank you guys who are listening in for your time as well. I hope that you learned something great from the interview and something that'll be useful to you and hopefully something that will motivate you guys to get out there and try a single season slam yourselves. With all that said, my one favor this week is to please forward this week's episode via the share button in your podcast player application. Forward the link for this week's show to a couple of hunting buddies. That's a huge help. And since I am through now, I'm going to say thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.